Welcome to El Desvío. Many roads, one destination. Encountering challenges, making decisions, confronting struggles, and better understanding the reasons for polarizing positions are but a part of being engaged in our nation's ability to discuss and advance towards a more inclusive and fair society. However, there is no set formula to achieve these objectives. Elizvio presents listeners with 30 minutes of thought-provoking discussions on relevant issues we face as a nation. Mi gente, welcome to Elizvio. We are your hosts, Jose Vargas and Andrea Arenas. And today we welcome you to this episode, which will explore the multifaceted aspects of the COVID-19 vaccine. Do our communities know how and where to get the vaccine? What is the union's role in ensuring that members get it? And how are black and brown communities responding? Correct, Jose. I have heard of so many family members basically say, que no hay manera that they will get this vaccine. There is a lot of doubt and mistrust. This episode is titled, Que Que, You Want Me To Get What? Moving from a history of vaccine distrust to understanding the COVID vaccine. Como, cuando, donde. And the objective of this episode is to shed light on the reasons behind these fears in an attempt to provide information and together find a way to move forward. And today we are joined by an amazing panel. Michael Mogu, president of the United Federation of Teachers. Eva Galvez, MD from the Virginia Garcia Memorial Health Center. Jalissa Timmons, MD, practitioner of family medicine at St. Francis Family Medicine, and Veronica Segovia Bidon, AARP Multicultural Leadership Senior Advisor for Hispanic and Latino Audiences. Welcome all of you. So Jose, currently there are 1.3 million COVID-19 vaccine doses being distributed on a daily average across the country. As we know, the current administration is trying to move quickly with this inoculation process before more contagious variants of the pandemic become dominant. All this happens as our nation tries to find ways to accelerate the economy and allow for workers to go back to work. Mira, Andrea, the role of teachers is critical as reopening schools will enable working families to go back to work. However, ensuring educators are safe from COVID-19 is also crucial to the overall success of reopening the country. Michael Mulgrew, president of the United Federation of Teachers, has taken a bold approach at ensuring this by reaching an agreement with the healthcare systems to expand access to COVID-19 vaccine to all eligible UFT members. Muchisimas gracias, Michael. Thank you for joining us today and for always supporting our work here at LACLA. The UFT has taken an unprecedented approach in providing and ensuring that all its members get inoculated with the COVID-19 vaccine. As a labor leader, why was it important for you to have pursue this on behalf of your members, and how do you see this playing a significant role in the reopening of the economy? When people ask me about why the UFT has basically taken this unprecedented approach uh, to, to ensure that all of our members have access to the vaccine, Uh, they're like, why would you do that? And I'm, it's not your responsibility. And I'm, I disagree. 
quite loudly I disagree because uh, as a union, our job is to advocate on our members' behalf. So the vaccine, as a profession, the vaccine is the only way through this pandemic. Uh, everyone wants their schools open, but we need to be safe if we're going to open our schools. So therefore, it makes perfect sense that as a union, it's our profession, our workers are the ones who need to be safe. So I will fight and help and set up our own process to make sure that they have that option if they choose to go down that road. A union isn't just about a contract, it's also about you know, dealing with safety situations, dealing with a time of crisis. It, it's a group of workers who are there to help each other. So that's why we went down this road. And you know, the advantages of taking this hands-on approach, um, we, we know that our members are, are gonna be treated very well. We think we expect everyone getting a vaccine to be treated well, but we don't, you know, we don't want people waiting on lines for hours and things of that nature, because it shouldn't be happening. It shouldn't be happening to any every, anyone. But, you know, we're gonna make sure that that's not gonna happen to our members if they're using, if they choose to use our program. Uh, I, I, I cringe when I see people standing out on a sidewalk uh, outside of a high school or a hospital waiting in line for a, a vaccination appointment because that's exactly what shouldn't be happening. So yeah, there are, it's not an advantage, it's the right thing to do. And if the union can make that happen for its members, it should be doing that. Uh, and, and I would hope that labor would look at this more in that way. And, you know, and I, I've talked to a lot of different labor leaders and they're like, well, we have members who don't want to take the vaccine. Fine. But you do have members who want to take the vaccine. And, and you put it out there and say, we're doing this for people who want to do it. Our folks who, who are using our system are only the folks who want the vaccine. So, you know, and when we, as the vaccine was developing, you know, we're a large union and like every union, there's, everyone has their opinions and we, we support their right to give them. But this wasn't a tough one in terms of a debate. It's like, we're not, it's not mandated and we're here to help those who want it. It's like giving a class of, of if workers want to do it, they come and they do it. But I think it's a little bit more serious in terms of being in the pandemic. And, and, and that's really what I would say. And I have said to my uh, labor leader colleagues, that's our, that should be what we should all be doing. Uh, and it's just perilous times that we work in. And a lot of workers, essential workers, frontline workers have been put in all sorts of danger for because of people's political reasons. To me, this is simple. It's not political. We work with the doctors. The only way through this pandemic is herd immunity. The only way to herd immunity at this moment in time is through a vaccination program where 70 to 75% of people get vaccinated. So to, to us, and we know the schools are gonna be open and they've been open throughout this pandemic. We have to go through all this extra time, money and uh, funding. We're burning through to try to keep everyone safe inside of schools. But it's just the right thing to do. So, yeah, uh, there's a lot of advantages to it. And I, I would love to, you know, for people all to understand what the advantages are. But in the end, I think the strongest point is this. It's the right thing to do. To give, to fight so that our members have access to something that we know will keep them safe. And it's really that simple and should be that simple at times. Thank you, President Mulgrew, and thank you for explaining the important role that unions play in ensuring these protections. Let me tell you, as a mom of a three-year-old and a six-year-old, I 
honestly commend the work that educators do and especially have done for the past year. They have had to teach their students and us, parents. So I really think that our communities, parents, and government officials at all levels need to support these efforts. That is, if we want to reopen the country in a safe way. Doctora Galvez, can you share with us what the impact of COVID-19 has been within our community? There is no doubt that COVID-19 has touched all communities in some way, but Latinos have been bearing the brunt of infections and deaths here in the U.S. I work in a community health center which serves a large Latino population. The majority of my patients are working in essential jobs, which forces them to leave their home for work. I have many stories of patients who have contracted the virus at work, and then have brought the virus home to their families. This is devastating as I've had entire families be out with the virus for weeks. So not only are we living in fear of becoming sick ourselves, but in fear of bringing the virus home to our loved ones. But the reality is that most of us don't have the choice to stay home. We have to continue going to work so that we can provide for our families. And finally, let's not forget that our work has also ensured that our nation's economy moves forward throughout this pandemic. Yet our community has not been a priority when it comes to getting basic protections to keep our families safe. And this has really made us more vulnerable to catching the virus. Correct. Latinos have played a critical role in our nation's economic stability. Yet, as you just said, Dr. Galvez, the protections that they have received have not been close to enough in preventing them from getting the virus. Furthermore, now that there is a vaccine, these workers who would benefit from it don't necessarily trust the vaccine. Dr. Timmons, do you think that black and brown communities have been more reluctant to trust the vaccine? And if so, how do you think we can better understand what has led to this lack of trust? Based on my experience so far with the new COVID-19 vaccine, I've seen that there's a lot more reluctance and hesitancy towards getting the vaccine in black and brown communities, including the Latino community. Um, as a physician, I have noticed that my patients of color are a lot more reluctant and hesitant to get the vaccine. Um, being a woman of color, an African-American woman, I've seen even within my own family, there's a lot of reluctance and hesitancy towards the vaccine. If you look at the research that's being done thus far, Um, they show pretty consistently that people of Hispanic communities, black communities, um, have, are less likely to get the vaccine than our white counterparts, which is interesting because we know that based off of the studies, we are at more risk should we contract the virus, right? So we're at about four times more likely to be hospitalized from COVID and about three times more likely in both the Black and the Latino community to die from the virus. Yet, we are still hesitant, still reluctant to get the vaccine. There's a study done by the Pew Research Center that asked people or looked into um, how likely a person was to get the vaccine if they intended to go get the new COVID vaccine. And less than 42% of black people. So about 42% of black people said that they would be interested and intend on getting the vaccine. About 63% of Hispanic people said that they would 
be willing to get the new vaccine. Um, so those numbers, you know, are much less than other communities, such as like the Asian community, where, you know, they're their likelihood to get the vaccine is in almost 80, 85%. So our numbers tend to be much lower, we're a lot more hesitant, a lot more reluctant. And whenever they asked why Black and Hispanic adults um, are not confident in getting the vaccine, um, a lot of them were not confident because they felt that the vaccine was not developed with their needs um, taken into account. So one of the questions asked was, how confident are you that the development of the coronavirus vaccine had taken the needs of Black or Hispanic people into account? And that number was about 36% of Hispanic adults did not feel confident that the vaccine was made with their well-being in mind. And it was nearly 50% in the black community. So 50% of black people did not feel that the vaccine was made with their needs in mind. Um, I think a lot of this, if we take a step back, you know, goes far beyond just the COVID virus, the COVID virus right here and right now. Um, if we just take a look at the historical context, there's a lot of disparities just within our country. Um, there's a lot of um, racism and, um, you know, some inequality when it comes to um, people of minority communities, namely black and brown communities. Um, so there is this history of mistrust within the country and the medical system is not spared from that. So, you know, when we look at some of these responses, why people are not confident about the vaccine, why people are hesitant and reluctant, you know, historically, black and brown communities have not felt like their needs are heard. We have poor outcomes, we have worse access to medicine. Um, you know, even one thing that COVID has shown us is that, you know, there's a lot of still issues within our medical system when it comes to access to care, access to treatment, access to hospitals, and we see that, you know, as an at-risk community, that's very, very concerning. Um, but, you know, it's really interesting to see that there's such a large disconnect between how dis disproportionately we as black and brown people are affected by the virus, but are also disproportionately more reluctant and hesitant towards the virus. Doctora Galvez, una pregunta. Have you witnessed vaccine resistance among the Latinos in your community? Do you think perhaps these fears are linked to their immigration status or maybe even fears led by previous policies that targeted immigrants? ¿Cómo se puede explicar esto? Mostly what I'm hearing is that people are worried about the side effects of the vaccine. They also wonder if it is safe given how quickly it was developed and they wonder if the vaccine may have long-term health risks. And these are very valid concerns For one, most of the public has not had access to accurate information regarding the vaccine. But for Latinos in particular, our hesitancy is rooted in years of anti-immigrant rhetoric and policies which have stoked fear and mistrust of the government. So to me, it's not at all surprising that a question on nuestra gente's mind is, 
How can I trust a government that has often put my well-being on the back burner, but is now asking me to put something into my body that I know very little about? And just a follow-up question, Dr. Galvez. Taking into consideration the background to these very much justified fears that both you and Dr. Timmons have explained, how do we move past them? First of all, we must start by validating these fears. And second, we must address the questions and the concerns head on. One way to do this is by public health partnering with trusted voices in our community to carry the message that the vaccine is safe and effective. But we also must ensure that any information that is disseminated about the vaccine is in a language that we understand and that it's available on various platforms so that it's accessible to all segments of the community. But something that I can't stress enough is that as we work towards gaining vaccine acceptance in nuestra comunidad, I believe that there must be a parallel effort led by community advocates to ensure that the vaccine is free for all workers considered essential and that we ensure that there are worker protections in place that will protect workers who might experience side effects from the vaccine. For example, paid time off and reassurance that a person won't lose their job if they have to miss work. Without these reassurances, I'm afraid that many in our community will still be hesitant to get the vaccine. I am encouraging all of my patients to get the vaccine. I share with them that I have received it and that I am feeling great. And I remind them that it went through a very rigorous process for approval and that it really is a critical step of getting our lives back to normal. Reassuring patients is definitely an important role that the medical community plays and that we don't necessarily think of that often. Um, Dr. Timmons, how can we ensure that we are keeping safe as these two new COVID strands make their way to our country? As if COVID-19 weren't enough, now we have these two new strains of the virus coming out, one coming from the UK, one from down in South Africa. Um, you know, so I know a lot of people are worried and concerned, okay, what do we do now um, with these new strains of virus? Um, to be honest, I think it'll look a lot of the same of what we have been doing, protecting ourselves and protecting each other. Even here in the state of Virginia, we're anticipating that our COVID numbers and hospitalizations will continue to surge in the month of February and March. So right now it's especially important to make sure we're abiding by the guidelines that are in place for us to remain safe. So that's wearing your mask whenever you're out, making sure you're doing frequent hand washing, um, keeping our gathering small and our meetings to what is absolutely needed. Um, you know, now is not the time for big group gatherings and big family get togethers. We need to continue to socially distance to stay at home as much as we can to keep be, keep ourselves safe, keep our family safe, especially our most at-risk populations. Um, you know, we already know we're at an increased risk um, as people of black and brown communities and especially our elderly in our communities. We have to really be careful um, at keeping them safe and keeping them COVID free. So I would, you know, Really tell everybody, keep doing what we're doing. I know it's frustrating. We're feeling isolated. We're feeling tired of wearing masks, but we just have to keep fighting the good fight 
um, in the months to come. And I'm, I'm really hopeful that as the vaccine comes out, as it becomes available, um, things will start to improve and turn around, but that's still going to be months and months away. So keep washing your hands, keep wearing your mask, um, go get the vaccine. And if you're worried or have questions about getting the vaccine, go talk to your doctor so you can make the most informed and the best decision that you can for yourself. Bueno, mi gente, based on my understanding of the multiple fears in our communities expressed by our speakers, it is clear that people need the most up-to-date information available. This is how we allay their fears. And with this in mind, I welcome Veronica Segovia Bedon, AARP's Multicultural Leadership Senior Advisor for Hispanic Latino Audiences. Veronica, can you give us the como, cuando, donde? And what is ARP doing to protect our community's elder population? So first, I want to share that to learn more about coronavirus vaccine availability and distribution in your own state, uh, we encourage you, invite you to visit aarp.org slash vaccine info. Para más información sobre la disponibilidad de la vacuna contra la COVID-19 y su distribución en tu estado, Si pueden, por favor, visita aarp.org diagonal info vacuna. Voy a repetirlo. Aarp o aarp.org diagonal info vacuna. Aarp is fighting for older Americans to be prioritized in getting the COVID vaccine. Since the start of this pandemic, nearly 95% of the deaths from COVID-19 have been among people 50 and older. So what does that mean for us who are younger? That's our loved ones, that's our tias, our padrinos, our madrinas, our abuelitas, you know? And so for us, you know, it is important that younger people in multi-generational homes, in multi-generational communities, within their own network, that they're checking in on their family members uh, and that they're also, you know, helping connect them to resources like the ones AARP has. The data has clearly shown that the older people are, the higher risk they face if they contract COVID-19. So what's important now is to ramp up production and distribution of the authorized vaccines so that everyone who wants to get vaccinated can do so. It is imperative that vaccines be administered according to how they are authorized by the Food and Drug Administration, so people receive the level of protection that is expected from a vaccine. So I would say this, I would ask people, especially your younger listeners, to do some research, look into sources of information so that they can connect their loved ones with information. And if folks are having trouble, you know, try contacting your healthcare provider, your insurance company, the state health department, or even your local member of Congress, your local representation. And these are things that we can do uh, for as bilingual people, you know, I speak both English and Spanish. That's something that I can offer to do, help my mom through. For example, eh, mi mamá prefiere hablar en español. Entonces, si yo puedo hacer una llamada a su doctor o a su compañía de seguro, el departamento de salud de tu estado, o al miembro de congreso que nos representa localmente y hacer las preguntas para, para conseguir más información, hacer un poco de investigo y comunicarlo a mi mamá en una manera que ella pueda entender. Eso es lo que le sugiero a la gente que son menor de 50, 
pero que quieren ayudarle a la gente que, les, que, que son queridos, que son sus amigos, que están en su comunidad. Eh, es abogar por ellos, ¿verdad? Eso es lo que podemos hacer. Entonces, eh, eh, para más, por más información, eh, comparto de nuevo el, el sitio web que tenemos nosotros, que es aarp.org diagonal info vacuna. Uh, in English, I'll just share again, you know, there is no age limit around being an advocate, right? You don't have to be over 50 to advocate for people who are over 50. Those members of our community, the members of our family, our friends, our network, um, we can advocate for them and we can learn more and investigate more so that we can connect them to resources and information. So the website for AARP with more information on the vaccine, on its availability and distribution in states is aarp.org slash vaccine info. Thank you so much, Veronica. And thank you to AARP for collaborating with LACLA in an effort to provide tools and access to information for Latino and immigrant working families regarding critical issues. We encourage our listeners to visit the links that Veronica has provided for more information and resources on the COVID-19 vaccine. Jose, after having listened to our amazing speakers, es hora de nuestra moraleja, which I think is that the role of labor in ensuring workers' protections is indeed critical to overcome this health and economic crisis. And what I also see, unfortunately, is that our communities, black and brown, have been subject to a history that justifies their current fears and mistrust. As a community and as labor, we need to continue working together in order to provide critical information that is capable of rebuilding faith and trust in a system that can now prove its commitment to these communities that have for long been abused, exploited, and even neglected. You are so right, Andrea. The moraleja here won't be lost on our audience because for too long, so many of them have been disenfranchised by the system. Y con esto los dejo. As Latinos, as leaders, as trade unionists, we must work together to provide access to the resources and critical information our community needs and offer it in an environment that they can truly trust. And this brings us to el final de nuestro podcast. Special thanks to Michael Mogu, Eva Galvez, Jalissa Timmons, Veronica Segovia Bedon. Thank you for taking the time to speak with us today. Muchísimas gracias. Hasta la próxima. That's it for now. Be sure to follow us at LACLA, that is L-C-L-A-A, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And visit our website, www.lacla.org. LACLA's El Desvío podcast is a proud member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network, the voice of working people. To learn more about issues that affect workers, visit laborradionetwork.org. Thank you, and hasta el próximo episodio.